Yo, this is Pete Town's finest, representing the NEP. D. Stoudemire, and y'all know what we're talking about. No one's ready to deal with us. Hi, this is Damian Lillard. This is CJ McCullough. This is Carmelo Anthony. This is Yusuf Nurkic. This is Zach Collins. This is Rodney Hood. This is Anthony Simons. This is Mo Harkless. This is Hassan Whiteside. This is Alfaru Kamini. This is Myers Leonard. This is Nasir Little. Hi, this is Evan Turner. This is Pat Conton. This is Ed Davis. Hi, this is Shabazz Napier. This is Jake Lehman. This is Noah Vonley. This is Kent Bazemore. This is Nick Stauskas. This is Jalen Ward. This is Mario Kezunia. This is Caleb Swanigan. This is Seth Curry. This is Anthony Tolliver. This is Pau Gasol. This is Moses Brown. This is Scalabissier. I love Rip City, and I love Rip City Report. The Rip City Report. The Rip City Report. Rip City Report. Rip City Report. The Rip City Report. The Rip City Report. The Rip City Report. Rip City Report. The Rip City Report. The Rip City Report. The Rip City Radio Report. Rip City Report. The one, the only Rip City Report. The Rip City Report. The Rip City Report. Rip City Report. Rip City Report. Rip City Report with Casey Holdall and Joe Freeman. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to another edition of the Rip City Report. I'm Joe Freeman, the Oregonian. He's Casey Holdall of Trailblazers.com. Hello, Joe, and hello, everybody out there in Rip City. Uh, Joe, it's great to see you. Uh, folks listening, it's, it's great to be heard, and uh, yeah. What's up, buddy? I'm, How you doing? I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, yeah, things are, are, are progressing, you know. Uh, Seems like uh, we're, we're making some progress here towards the season. Um, home is fine. We're trying to get the house painted last minute in November, which uh, probably isn't a real smart thing to do. But Outdoors? We're going to try anyways. Yeah, the, the, the outside of it, which if there's any painters out there, uh, can you tell me what the definition of two coats of paint on a house is? Because we pay for two coats, and they put on what I would consider one coat, and the guy is claiming that it's two coats. And it, it might be. I, I, I don't know. I've never had a house painted before. But to me, two coats is you paint on one coat, it dries, you paint on the other coat. In his opinion, it's you paint one section and then you go back over it again three minutes later. We really, I wish you had told me uh, that you were painting your house. I would have directed you. Well, first of all, literally five people on my block have gotten their house painted this summer. So obviously the Rona and the quarantine and all that is making people uh, feel like they need to do some stuff around the house. Not a surprise. Uh, B, so I've got someone was going around giving out some good deals and doing some good painting. So I wish I'd known. Also, basketball Ian, uh, incredible painter, uh, works for a local business. He probably could have uh, taken care of you too. So uh, that's a bummer there. But uh, I would tend to say, and I'm by no means am I an expert, I feel like you got to let that paint dry and then you put on that second coat. That, that's, that's my, that, that's what I would call a second coat. But I mean, I, I, we're not upset with it. The, the, they've done a great job so far and they've been great to work with. I, I was just a little confused by it. And that... Well, let's start off the pod with some breaking news. For those of you who do not know, who did not see Casey's breaking news via Twitter uh, over the weekend, this will be the last Rip City report. Unfortunately, I know it's sad news for everyone to, probably catches some of you guys off guard. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of the more uh, talk about uh, going through the years and, and the end and all that stuff maybe later in the pod. We don't want to bog down the beginning uh, for those of you who just don't care and you just want to get into the Blazers news. Um, but it has been an uh, indescribable amount of fun doing this podcast for the last. We looked it up. Since 2013, we've been doing this, uh, which A, says how damn old we are. But B, I think... 
uh, you know, both in uh, longevity and popularity, how, how much people like the pod and have grown to love the pod. And so, um, you know, it's disappointing that it's coming to an end, but we'll get more into that uh, uh, at the end of the pod. Yeah. Uh, and thank you to everyone who's, who's listened for all these years as well. Yeah. I, when I looked back to see when the first podcast was, I couldn't believe that it was 2013. I, I thought we'd been doing it for a couple of years, you know, which <laughs> I, I think speaks to, to what you said, Joe, about how old we are, but also how much fun it's been to do. Uh, I know we've talked a lot about how much we enjoy doing the podcast and, and when it is something fun that you enjoy doing uh, with people that you enjoy and, and, and care about, uh, you know, the, the time goes faster. So uh, yeah, you know, unfortunate that it, that it had to end this way, but you know, all, all things do come to an end and uh, there are also some other great Blazer podcasts out there too. So um, I'm sad, but we're, we're not going anywhere. I mean, I'm still yeah. going to be covering the team. You're still going to be around covering sports. So, you know, uh, that, that's not going to change, but uh, you know, on it's to other 2020. Things. It's 2020. There you yeah, go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get on to, uh, again. We'll we'll talk more about that at the end of the pod. We want to get into. We have so much uh, Blazers news to unpack here today. But before I do, for one last time, please uh, follow Casey Holdall on Twitter at Seahold and check out all of his content at Blazers.com/slash/forward/center. You can follow me at Blazer Freeman on Twitter, and please read mine and my colleagues' uh, stories and content at OregonLive.com/slash/Blazers. And now's your last chance. You might as well give us all your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Just a nice little chef's kiss on the way out the door there. Uh, but uh, you guys, seriously, you have given us so many five-star reviews over the years, and, and we do appreciate all the love. But let's give some love back right now, Casey. Let's get right into some news and notes here. Let's do it, Joe. And uh, I don't know where to begin. We have, we have a lot to unpack, so I'm going to uh, rapid-fire this with everything that's gone on over the last uh, few days. Um, the Blazers have made a flurry of moves to overhaul their roster, adding veteran talent, versatility, depth, and defense. To recap quickly, Blazers traded for 3 and D veteran Robert Covington, a former first-team All-NBA defender. Uh, they traded away Trevor Ariza and two first-round picks for Covington. Uh, they also signed Derek Jones Jr. as a free agent. They signed him to a two-year deal. Uh, a little bit unclear about the second year. It might sounds like it might be a player option. They also traded for your good, uh, your good old friend, Ennis Cantor. He got the band back together there from, from that Western Conference Finals run. They uh, acquired him in exchange for Mario Hazonia and, uh, and that room they had with their trade exception. The old trade exception after all these years and all these different trade exceptions finally comes through for your Blazers. So uh, suck it to the people who didn't think that would ever happen. And also pour one out for Rio, who uh, his thrust couldn't get him into the Blazers rotation on a regular basis, uh, but it did get him uh, some time in Portland. He was a really good dude. So we wish him luck moving forward. Moving along, Blazers also re-signed Rodney Hood to a two-year deal. I know that makes Blazers fans happy, especially after he opted out and there was some concern about that. Then they continued. They signed uh, re-signed Carmelo Anthony to a one-year deal, which seemed unlikely when they brought back Covington, but now kind of makes sense, and we'll get into all that. Most important move of free agency, according to Neil O'Shea, Joe. Indeed, indeed. I would argue that uh, that Robert Covington was that, but I guess he was a trade. So, that's a uh, trade, Joe. Yeah, you need to separate him out. Yeah. Uh, and then after Melo, they signed Harry Giles Jr. to a one-year deal, and on top of everything they drafted – C.J. Ellaby in the second round, adding uh, the Washington State. Uh, what is he? A small forward or guard? I can't. I can't. Yeah. A guard forward. Yeah. yeah. So, 
where we stand right now, 14 roster spots. A um, couple of injury updates, though, before we press along too much. Rodney Hood expected to be ready for opening night, but Zach Collins not expected to be. In fact, Neil O'Shea says that he likely will be out until the middle of January. Of course, he had the ankle surgery coming off of his uh, ankle injury in the NBA bubble. A couple quick NBA schedule notes. Uh, NBA schedule league-wide supposed to start on December 22nd. I'm sure most of you know that. And as far as when the Blazers start working out and when the NBA teams start working out, it's a bit complicated. But the way we understand it is NBA teams can begin working out on December 1st. Olshay, however, said Monday that the Blazers would probably open camp on the 6th. So keep an eye out for that and keep an eye out for your Blazers schedule, which still has not been released, but we expect it to come out sometime in the next week or so. And one final note on that is it will be released in two parts. I think a pre-All-Star and a post-All-Star break or something along those lines. And it sounds like they're going to build in um, some cushion here and there and in the middle and throughout for COVID-related cancellations. So there we go. I went through those quickly, Casey. Hopefully that was... Uh, it was okay. Heck of a job there, Joe. That that's a that's a heck of a way to close out the news and notes. Uh, quick, Woo! succinct, to the point. Uh, fantastic job, Joe. Nice. I'm work. gonna take a sip of my herbal tea now. What are your there thoughts you yeah, you on? Get- uh, you know, real quick. Also, uh, Neil Olshay talked today for the first time. Uh, you know, highlighting all his news and and we have some things to there. But I guess take me back to free agency. Let's start with. Uh, with Robert Covington, the, the trade that, that set things in motion before the draft. Um, for my money, it was the perfect signing of the perfect player at the perfect time, uh, at the perfect position of need. What what are your thoughts on the move, Case? Yeah, I, Covington is one of those guys who I think Blazer fans have kind of had their eye on for, for a couple seasons now, uh, going back to his time in, in Philadelphia. You know, one of those guys where you look at, at Damian and CJ and, and the way that the Blazers play – and you think to yourself, like, what they, they really need someone who, who's really solid defensive minded who can switch multiple positions to really kind of pull this thing together from a defensive perspective. And Robert Covington is that guy. And, and I think, you know, during his, his uh, media availability today, we got a sense of a very small sense, but just who he is as a person. Seems like a great guy, very contrite. Seems like he wants to come in and, and, and just kind of do what's asked of him a guy who, who's primarily going to make his bones on defense, but that can hit the, the three as well. Just a, a guy who I think Blazer fans have really been looking for for years and years. I, I think, you know, to a, to a certain extent, you got some of that with Alfred Camino and with Mo Harkless. But I, I would say that Robert Covington is like the best of both of those guys put together uh, in, in that he has really shown himself throughout his time in the NBA to be an elite team defender, maybe not like a a one-on-one lockdown guy, but a guy who can definitely knows exactly where he's supposed to be at and, and and kind of do some quarterbacking from the defensive position and and really kind of help the Blazers in in terms of slowing down teams, particularly on the wing, which is something that they have had troubles with for, for some time now and were to be perfectly frank, got awful at last season. So, you know, it, it's a guy who I think a lot of fans have been interested in for a while uh, on a very team-friendly deal for multiple years, and you basically only had to give up Trevor Reza, who who did some nice things for you, but was not necessarily a guy who was long-term in, in the plans and, and is quite a bit older than, than Covington. And you had to give up a first-round pick in this draft, which I don't think anyone really probably cares about that. This Blazer team, as currently constructed, is win now 
And I don't think there's anyone that you're getting in the middle of the first round in this draft who's going to be able to help a playoff team. Now, next season, you also give up a first-round pick. And I, I believe the protections are such that the Blazers will most likely convey it next year if they're good. I, I think it's only – I think it's only maybe lottery protected. So I imagine they lose that as well. But to get a player like Robert Covington for a guy in Trevor Reza who you probably weren't going to have around anyways, a first round pick in a not very good draft and probably a mid to late first round pick in next year's draft, that's about as good as you can possibly do. And I think that's why even for Blazer fans who pay a lot of attention, and I think part of paying a lot of attention is that you're always going to have a certain segment of fans who think moves are good and a certain segment of fans who think that moves are crappy. And I don't believe I've seen any analysis basically saying that that, that Robert Covington move wasn't the right move to make. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen a Blazer move or, or very few Blazer moves where when they happen, everyone's like, yeah, that's a great deal. Way, way to go, Portland. And that's what I think we've gotten in this situation. So uh, a guy who I think is really going to help this team is exactly what they needed. And, you know, I, I think one of those moves that, that if the Blazers do end up having success this season and going forward, you probably look back at that Covington move and say, yeah, that was maybe the thing that kind of got this thing moving in the right direction. Yeah, a couple things to piggyback off what you're saying. Uh, you know, in getting rid of Ariza, you're essentially replacing Ariza with a younger, better version of himself. And on a greater kind of uh, big picture thing, the Blazers have been looking for a three and D guy since Wesley Matthews snapped his Achilles years ago. And they finally have that proven, no doubt about it guy to fill that role. And it will help them immeasurably with how their roster is constructed. When you look at how he could potentially fit alongside Dave and CJ and with Nurkic from a defensive standpoint, especially with Nurkic, man, that's, that's really impressive. And especially when you pair him alongside, you know, either a Rodney Hood or a Derek Jones Jr. or a Zach Collins when he's back, there are some defensive components there that make this Blazers team so, 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 so much better defensively. And you're looking at a team that was 27th um, in net defensive or defensive rating last year. So obviously one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They were one of the one or two worst teams in the bubble, even though they played so well. And with a team whose offense is already so dynamic um, and, and, and you're not worried about them putting up points, this really kind of solidifies everything they're doing. And then when you kind of look at the trajectory of the franchise, you're absolutely right. This, right, Casey, this is clearly a team in win-now mode. Damian Lillard, 30. C.J. McCollum, 29. Covington, also 30. So he fits right in there. Two-year deal. Great deal uh, money-wise for a starter. And then when you look, already when we, when, when, um, when we learned of the Covington signing, the kind of thought was, that's a home run for Neil Olshay. And then when you look, when the kind of chess pieces moved in the days that followed, kind of a really, really strong offseason for Neil, arguably his best offseason so far with the Blazers. And I, from, from a kind of biased perspective of, of where I think things are going, I think this is a very, a really, really good team. I think it's a top four in the West kind of caliber team. Uh, they don't have a ton of weaknesses, and they have a lot of depth, versatility, athleticism, a lot of pieces for Terry Stotts to kind of play with. Now, that can go one of two ways. We've seen in the past you can't have too much 
of that depth and too many guys, but I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think you can never have too much, many, much talent. We saw that last year with the injuries. Um, I think this is a really good team and a really good roster. And before I, I pass it along to you real quick, uh, we listened to Robert Covington today on Zoom. He did an, a media availability. And one thing that struck me with him, uh, kind of a, a juxtaposition back to where we were at with Hassan Whiteside last year in July, uh, in, the, in that Vegas ballroom, I remember asking Hassan kind of, you know, what his goals were or, or what he thought he could do last year. And he said, uh, lead the league in blocks and rebounds. And I think in hindsight, we took that for being defensive production or production for a team. Whereas now, I think maybe it was an indication that he was more of kind of about stats and about where he kind of fit in with that. But what we heard from Robert Covington today was, I just want to win. I want to play defense. I want to help this team get to that next level. I heard a wholly unselfish demeanor, a, whole, a wholly unselfish kind of ethos and, and kind of attitude. And I just, he is going to fit perfectly culture-wise, uh, game-wise, skill-wise, and player-wise with this team. I really believe that. I do too, Joe. And I guess the one thing I would say as well is, and what we'll talk about this probably more in the broad sense with, with the other moves, but you know, you talk about Portland's defense and it being 27th in defense officially last year, but their offense being one of the best. They basically got a whole lot better defensively without losing anything that really went into their offense being one of the best in the NBA last year. So you add players who are quality defensive players but you didn't have to send guys out who were in a real two-year offensive production last season. So you improve one part without really taking anything away from the other, which in the NBA, it's just something that doesn't really happen all that often. Usually you're going to have to sacrifice something. And, you know, they're probably sacrificing, well, not, not in relationship to Yusuf Nurkic, but it's not like they didn't get anything from Hassan Whiteside, but definitely not necessarily the – he did, he's not what made their offense go last year, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so you, you lose that from the starting lineup, but then you add a guy in Covington, you add a guy in DJJ, you add a guy in Cantor who is not necessarily known as a defensive stalwart, but a guy who, when he was with Portland, played a lot better defensively than anyone ever thought he could. And you also add some offense there as well. So, I mean, I, I, it, that Covington move really, I, I think, reflects the other moves that Portland made in that it's a move that you got – obviously better on one side of the ball without really impacting anything negatively on the other side of the ball. And again, that's just something that you don't really get to do all that often, particularly when you're a team like Portland, when, you know, you're always going to have to be fighting to get guys to come. So it's, you're right. I mean, and I mentioned, you know, universal praise for the Covington move, you know, broader sense too. You, there's been a lot of praise for the moves that Neil O'Shea's staff made throughout the trades and free agency. And it's almost you don't even know how to feel about it a little bit because you're just so used to like, yeah, well, Portland did some okay things, but you know, it's Portland to have universal praise and have everyone basically who covers the NBA and follows it say like, yeah, the Blazers are one of the teams that not only did they get a lot better, but they had one of the better free agency off seasons of any team out, any other team that you just don't hear that very often. And it's, it's like, it's, it's a nice thing to, to be a part of, to, to have a team that, not only looks like it's starting to come together, but at least have other people look at your team and say like, yeah, 
these guys are actually pretty good as opposed to, to us just kind of screaming into the ether, hey, maybe this team isn't as bad as everyone thinks they are. So it's, it's a bit of a role reversal, even just after a few days of transactions. And again, it's, uh, it's kind of fun. You, you, I don't even know exactly how to, how to wear it just yet, but uh, I'm getting used to it. It's nice. There you go. You'll get used to it. I promise. We'll move along and, and kind of look, uh, maybe not as depth, but look at all the other signings and additions in just a minute. Before I do, though, Neil Olshay spoke earlier today, and it is Monday evening, by the way, just to kind of set the context of, of when we're recording. So he spoke uh, Monday uh, morning for the first time in, in quite some time. And he had a few interesting notes. Uh, I mentioned that Collins was out until uh, mid-January and that Hood should be ready on opening night. Uh, Olshay kind of reaffirmed that his main goal this offseason was to strengthen the Blazers' defense, uh, add versatility, athleticism. But um, one interesting note is he said he expects the defense to be more aggressive. To, it's suited for more switching now, which is, is Terry, Terry Stotts has been most inclined to play conservatively and not do that. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see how that manifests itself as the season continues. He called Mello, as you kind of joked, one of the most important signings uh, of the offseason. Um, and a couple other notes, he was asked about backup point guard and uh, why he didn't pursue that. And he said, because Anthony Simons is the backup point guard. So that cements his status in the rotation and in his role. He said, uh, Olshay, that is, does not plan on filling a 15th roster spot. Said the Blazers are just under the luxury tax. They want to stay there. They don't want to enter the repeater zone. So um, do not expect another move for a 15th roster guy. The Blazers will stand pat at 14. And finally, on kind of where they're at and the getting guys together and getting in the gym and so on and so forth. Uh, currently, as things are, are stand with NBA protocol, four players with the Blazers can work individually on the court right now at the same time, spaced out on different courts. There's no five-on-five play, no scrimmages. It's all individual work. But the team was scheduled to begin COVID-19 testing protocols on Tuesday. Um, so you imagine it takes a little while for them to pass protocol and timing for all that. Um, but it sounds like most of the guys will be either returning soon or already in town, um, kind of ready to, to begin the season. So kind of a few notes uh, stemming off that. But uh, I guess, you know, looking at this roster, we've seen so much and so many roster iterations and roster overhauls in the uh, the 14 or 15 years that we've been doing this, Casey. And I don't... I think the depth and the completeness and the mix of talent and big and wings and offense and defense, it kind of most reminds me of, of our second year, 2008, 2009 with both top end talent and kind of solid bottom talent. But the difference that I see with this team, and let's not forget that team won 54 games. Uh, I think it was third in the West, maybe a, a, a strong team. The difference between then and now is that this team is battle tested it's experienced it is loaded with guys who have been through the the playoff rigors whereas that team almost uh, lacked playoffs experience completely and so i think talent wise it reminds me of that maybe even a little in fact i'm going to say it's a little it's def, it's more talented than that um and it also has more playoff experience so i know there's been a lot of questions of is this the best talent roster we've seen and and maybe there's i, I just took the uh wind out of some sales of a question down the road, but it is, if not the among the most talented rosters that I think we've covered in, in 15 years. Absolutely, Joe. I, I think it's probably more balanced than a, than a lot of the rosters have been. I, I feel like there's been times when you look at the Blazers and you go like their first 
six players and you're like, yeah, this is a really good team. And then you get down to seven, eight, nine, ten, 10. And you're like, Oh, well, may, maybe not as much as we had hoped it, it was. This is, that does not seem to be the case with this team. I mean, it, it, it'll have to come together on the court, but you have a strong two deep at every single position. I feel like at this point outside of maybe if you're, you know, I, I could see some concerns at backup point guard. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, that that's the one issue they had last year that, that they didn't necessarily go out and, and get a fix for. The the idea is that Anthony Simons being a, a better player and a year older and more mature will be that player. And, you know, you, you hope to see that. But other than that, like there's, there's guys certified at every single position, a couple positions, you have three guys who you feel really comfortable playing. And yeah, I, I think you come away with it feeling that it is probably the most deep team that they've had in some time. And, you know, I, I, I am of the opinion that, that Damian is better than any player that was on any of those other teams and include up to and including the younger version of Damian Lillard. So I, I think when you add that in, you're, you're right, Joe, the experience that they have, the fact that they've advanced to, well, not advanced, but the fact they've been the three seed two out of the last three seasons, you know, I, I feel like they're, they're set up really well with this season as it's currently constructed, assuming that we can actually get it started and, and get through it with everyone healthy. The other thing, too, is that you look at the West, and, you know, while no one's happy that Clay Thompson got injured, that injury, I, I feel like, takes the West from, from maybe two teams that you really feel bad about to basically only the Lakers and the Clippers being teams that – that you really feel like it's going to be a problem. And a Denver? lot of teams didn't necessarily get better. I, I thought Denver got worse. I, I don't think that Denver is a better team now than they were at the start of a free agency. In fact, I think they're markedly worse. So, And the Blazers have beaten that team before as well, with a team that is not as good, I don't think, as this team is going to be. So I, I think between the moves that they've made, the level that I feel like Damian is at in his career – and the West maybe, you know, having a little bit of a chance to, to sneak in there. It, it just seems like things seem to be setting up just right for the Blazers to have some success. Now, again, they're going to have to stay healthy. Health is the, the biggest thing with this team. You already talked about Zach Collins, you know, being out until January. Uh, Rodney Hood is coming off an Achilles injury. So, you know, you, he, he's had a lot of time to rehab and, and you take everyone at their word for him looking good. But the fact of the matter is, is that he had an Achilles injury. So, you, you, you count that in as well. Damian coming off a little knee issue as well. There's no reason to believe that that's going to be a problem, but it did happen. CJ did have a small fracture in his back uh, last uh, to end last season. That supposedly is completely healed up as well. But again, just the notion being that things do happen and injuries are, are something that can really take a season from looking like it, it might do something to doing nothing, nothing at all. But at this point in time, you know, basically a month out from the start of the regular season, I think you have a whole lot of reason to feel really good about this team from, from Rocco to Ennis to having a lot of athleticism on the wing for the first time in some time with, with a guy in DJJ. And then, you know, you've got your guys who you already feel good about in, in their maturation guys like, like Gary Trent jr. So, you know, there, there's, there's a little bit of everything on this team in terms of guys are ready to go. Now guys are still building for the future guys who still have a lot of ceiling to reach. And you feel strongly about that that it seems like they're doing what you, you hope a team can do that typically they can't, which is to push forward for something while also being able to keep at least one eye on kind of what's going to happen over the next three or four seasons. So uh, again, you, you just really, you got to tip your cap to Neil and his staff. I mean, they, they really, 
did a, a great job of, of making their targets and coming away with them. And, you know, they might not have ended up with every last thing that they want in free agency, but they got the things that they needed. And, you know, again, the, the Blazers are a much better team now than they were five days ago. And up to and including, you have people now who watch the league who are national guys who look at Portland and say, hey, like this team is pretty good. This is a top four team in the West. And you have a few guys that are maybe making claims a bit in excess of that. So uh, a lot of reason to be excited uh, for Trailblazer fans. And I don't think they are too, because again, I, I'm not seeing the kind of negativity. I'm not even saying negative, like a, it's a bad thing. It's warranted. But I, I'm just not seeing the same level of like, kind of grousing and, and maybe complaining that you would usually see, which tells me that people feel really good about where this team is at right now. And, you know, it's interesting going back to, to Neil O'Shea's talk today and just the Carmelo Anthony pursuit and, and taking us back to the bubble when the Blazers ended and talking to Carmelo about his future and him so emphatically coming out and saying that he wanted to return. I think we both at the time, thought that that was kind of a red letter day for this organization, uh, kind of affirming, you know, nationally what players think about playing here. And I think he kind of doubled down on that because they, Neil Oshay did say that they talked to him about role and basically said, you're, it's, you're, everyone's going to have a chance to start, but that's probably not going to be your role. And kind of the whole, you know, cliche, it's not a matter of who starts, but who finishes. Uh, which is true, but and and to see him decide that he does want to stay, and he undoubtedly had other offers based upon what he did, um, you, you know, to to resurrect his career. And so I don't know. I I think that says something a uh, in both what it means to play here, what guys think about playing here, and b um, you know what it meant to Carmelo for the organization to bring him back, and and how he feels here, and. We have, and you know, we, we both have different feelings about, about the organization and what that means. And it is almost overwhelmingly unanimous and there are many exceptions, but when guys come here, they get better. They focus on basketball. Uh, it's about basketball. Um, there's good camaraderie and culture. And I think you're seeing that manifest itself uh, into what we've seen this off season. There were uh, timely and notable trades but also some notable free agent acquisitions, getting Melo back, getting Rodney Hood back. Um, those are two big ones. And then, you know, getting Derek Jones Jr., who is a young, athletic, defensive-minded, leaper, um, guy who just played in Miami. Not a lot of people leave Miami, so I think that speaks volumes. Um, but I, I don't know. I just think the whole idea of when they signed Robert Covington, I didn't – my first thought was, well, Mello's not coming back. That, that's the end of Mello in Portland. Uh, because I assumed that he wanted to be a starter still in the league. To see, um, to see that evolve over X amount of days uh, and see him decide to commit to come back no matter the role, um, I think was, was noteworthy. And, you know, when you're not banking on Mello to be your fourth best player, your fifth best player, and you're banking on him to be your seventh or eighth best player, I think that speaks to how good of a team uh, you potentially have. Yeah, a couple of things. Mellow in the bubble was phenomenal, you know, and I, I think after that, he probably did have a number of options that he could have looked into, probably got paid a little bit more money. And I don't think that's probably all that important to Carmelo at this point in his career, but you know, money is nice. Uh, probably could have gone somewhere where maybe he might've had a larger role, but uh, for him to come back, uh, I think I understand exactly what Neil was saying because I, while 
it's maybe not the most important move in terms of the actual production on the court. And I mean, you know, you, you can make a claim that it's up there, but uh, to your point, I mean, acquiring Robert Covington is, is the most important thing. And I mean, getting a guy in Derek Jones Jr. as a free agent who, who can really plug some of the holes you have, that's also incredibly important as well. But, you know, Melo can still play. And the fact that it was important to re-sign him, I think speaks just as much to how important he is to that locker room. And, and, and not even just like, is in like keeping it together, but just the idea of like building towards something and, and having a player come in and do right by you. And then having that player reciprocate that. And, and knowing that a player like Carmelo means something outside of just the actual production on the court. I, I, I understand what Neil's saying in terms of, of that being an important signing because you know, I, I, and what he's saying there too is that we, they weren't going to go out and go into the tax to sign Carmelo. They weren't going to cut into the mid-level to sign Carmelo. And I mean, and now after what Neil talked about, they weren't going to go into the biannual to, to sign Melo, but they were able to do it at a deal that allows them to remain flexible and keeps them under the tax, but also allows Melo to stay here and continue to build on what he, he has built on. And it gives Carmelo a chance as well to put behind that notion that, well, Carmelo only wants to start. Does Carmelo Anthony want to start? Yes, Carmelo Anthony wants to start. But I think Carmelo would tell you that, yes, while I would like to start, I also just want you to be straight with me about what the situation is. And from day one, when Carmelo got to Portland, I mean, they told him, Carmelo, you're going to come in and start. You're going to be our starting four. And that's what they did. This time around, they said, hey, Carmelo, we love you starting you will have an opportunity to start if you go out there and earn it but it's not necessarily going to be given to you and he obviously is fine with that and I think for Carmelo again it gives him a chance to prove that hey I'm not the guy who says that I can only start I'm not Carmelo with a hoodie in the Thunder jersey saying who me at the first press conference when asked about whether or not I'd be okay coming off the bench it gives him an opportunity to show that he has grown as a player and as a person and that those concerns about Carmelo's attitude and what role he would be willing to accept might have been overblown because that's what Carmelo would tell you is that while he does want to start, it's never been an issue of I won't be on your team if I'm not starting. He just feels like he wanted to, to have it played straight to him. So I, I get where Neil's coming from in terms of, of talking up that signing. And when you see the, the response from fans and from the players to that signing as well, I think, you you know, you, you come away from feeling that, you know, I know you had mentioned that I was maybe kind of joking about it. And, you know, I guess a little bit. But also I can, again, I can see exactly where Neil's coming from. It may be not the most important signing in terms of on the court, but in terms of the success your team is going to have, Carmelo is important. I mean, he he just is. And and there's not a whole lot of guys like him in the league. So it's it's a bit hard to say like, well, because this is like this situation or that situation it's its own situation. And I think we saw last year that there's still plenty in the tank for Carmelo. He can help you particularly late in games. And now he's going to get an opportunity to do that without also having to play 30 minutes and, you know, defend NBA fours. So I, I completely get it. And I'm, I'm super glad they got him, brought him back. And it's the final May Copel that I will give both in terms of Carmelo and on this podcast. And that I didn't necessarily think that that was such a good idea to bring Carmelo Anthony way back when, and it's turned out well. And I think it's, it's been something that's been great for both sides. So I got that one wrong. Congrats, Carmelo. Congrats, Trailblazers. 
We both did. I remember, I can't remember the city, but I remember uh, flying in. Um, you had already landed with the team. We were going to record a podcast that night. Um, and you came over and met me at, at my hotel and we recorded the podcast. And I remember uh, it was something to the effect of it was a desperate move by a desperate team, which it was at the time. But, you know, maybe this turns out it was a desperate player who wanted to cement his status in the league and, and put a bow on his Hall of Fame career. And uh, after years and years of losing in New York uh, and trying to kind of chase a title in a couple bad situations um, in Houston and OKC, he felt in the right place at the right time for a team that was in win now mode and maybe, you know, winning and comfortability um, and fit meant more to him than, than starting. And I, and I think that's obvious. So, Hey, we were both wrong there. It was Chicago Joe and we wouldn't have deep dish pizza and wings afterwards in a restaurant that was mostly empty. Uh, and it's one of my, uh, I was going to be one of my uh, memories that I was going to mention actually from people asking about one of some of our fondest memories. And one of those for me is doing road podcasts and that one in particular I remember sitting in your room, we were sitting across from each other in chairs and we had the computer in between the two of us on the table. And, you know, we, we, I think recorded about 45 minutes about Carmelo, a, a signing that neither one of us had expected. And he had joined the team the game before in or in New Orleans. New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, Chicago was the next stop. Uh, Blazers ended up playing that game. Carmelo has a really nice night. Lala shows up uh, like that. That's one of my favorite recent trailblazer memories. And a lot of it has to do with the podcast. There you go. Okay, we are, of course, going to get to your Walton or Odin's and your questions. But before we do, we do want to just tell you about our good friends at Tough Luck. Uh, not currently open because of, uh, you know, obvious reasons. We've, we're in the middle of another shutdown. Um, I believe they are doing takeout, though, right? I, I don't think they're doing takeout. Oh, right? they're not doing takeout? Okay. They were doing takeout before they shut down, though. And, and surely when they open in either two weeks or four weeks, uh, they will be doing takeout again. So I would encourage you whenever things do open up again, and let's all hope it opens sooner than later, everybody, please be safe out there. Uh, visit your friends at Tough Luck. Um, I don't know if they'll ever be a Rip City Red Hot sandwich again, uh, but there's going to be lots of good booze and lots of good beer uh, and lots of good food. So, so give, them, give them a shout out whenever they uh, do reopen. Great people, great food, great place, uh, great whiskey. So, so keep that in mind. Now, and I just want to say, I just want to thank him as well for all their support uh, of the show over the years too. Uh, Tough Luck is, has been our, our only sponsor. Uh, they hosted a couple live shows, which is again, one of my favorite memories of doing this. And, uh, you know, I just think back to, you know, when we met up with Ezra at a coffee shop here in Arbor Lodge to just kind of hammer out the, not even so much the details, but just kind of the, the general framework of, of what the sponsorship would look like. And uh, I know it's been great for us. I, I hope that they got something out of it as well. Um, it's, it's been really rewarding to, to have that sponsorship and also to hear back from people saying like, Hey, I went and got the sandwich. Like literally like that makes me feel good. Like the, the idea that, you know, we had a, a, a symbiosis that allowed for us to get a little something out of it and for hopefully for them to get something out of it as well. I feel like a lot of times that doesn't happen in sponsorships. So for me, that that's always been a, a gratifying part and I, and shout out to Ezra and, and and Moss Eisley, uh, hopefully all their bars get back up and running one of these days. And when they do, uh, I'm going to be there supporting them because they're, they're real good people. So thank you so much to, to all those guys for all their support of the Rip City Report over the years. Yeah, I echo those thoughts as well. And, and full disclosure, we have had other people pursue us to, to interested in doing, you know, sponsorships. And, and 
we only wanted to do something that, that we actually, you know, kind of liked and believed in. And so that, I think that speaks volumes to what we think about tough luck and, and, and Ezra and John's uh, places. And so uh, love those guys, love being associated with them. And I can't wait till that shuffleboard league gets back. It is insane to think about. We were in the middle of a shuffleboard league when all this crap went haywire. And that was, it feels like six years ago, but it, it was back in March and it's wild uh, to think about it. So um, sending those guys all, all the best uh, moving forward. And I certainly will continue to be a, a loyal customer to all those, to all those places. Now back to your guys, Walton or Odin's as always, we do solicit them on Twitter. One last time you can give Casey a follow on Twitter at Seahold. You can follow me at Blazer Freeman. First up from Charles Ballerano, Walton or Odin. Zach Collins will be a blazer at the end of the season. Love the podcast. Going to miss you guys. Much love from Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, thanks, man. Appreciate the love. Yeah, Charles has been a longtime listener, so that's, that's uh, nice to get him in on the last pod. Uh, I'm going to say Walton. I think, I think uh, Zach is, remains a, a, a young piece that this franchise and Olshay believe in. And uh, you kind of had talked about the mix of of veterans and young guys still looking to kind of make their mark. And, and Zach obviously falls into the ladder. Um, he still has a lot to prove. He's, he needs to prove that he can stay healthy at this point. Um, but, you know, the Blazers still control him and his rights. And so I think he will be here uh, at the end of the season. He's an important piece. Yeah, I'd say that's a Walton as well. Neil O'Shea rides for the guys that he drafts. And uh, I, I don't think that's probably going to end anytime soon. So I would fully expect for Zach to be on this team next year or at the trade deadline and going forward. Uh, I think he's also, he might be extension eligible, obviously that, I mean, that'll work itself out. But the other thing to consider as well is that I don't think Cantor's under contract for next year. I think uh, Jones Jr. has a player option. Uh, you know, there, there's some guys who might not be on this team next season, but I believe Zach Collins is under contract for another year or two. So uh, because of that and more so because of the fact that I know they like Zach and generally they, they will take the time that it takes to develop their draft picks, that's a Walton. He's going to be on the team. Okay, next up from Blazerist, Walton or Odin? The Blazers will have a top five bench unit next season. Hmm... You know, without scanning the rest of the league uh, mentally, I'm just going to go ahead and Walton that because when you look at the talent they have uh, with the depth they have, uh, it's going to stack up against uh, any and other benches. I mean, you have Ennis Cantor who brings offensive rebounding and scoring from the low post off the bench. That's, you know, not that uncommon. You've You've got Mello coming off the bench, uh, either Hood or Jones, Gary Trent Jr., Anthony, uh, or some of those guys mixed with CJ at backup point guard. I mean, that's that's a pretty good bench unit. Uh, I'm going to Walton that. Yeah, it, it is a little bit hard to to tell because it is a question that asks in relationship to other teams. And, I mean, heck, there's so many teams that have made so many trades that, like, I'm not entirely sure right now who is on which team other than, than Portland. So I'd have to do a little bit of digging into that, but um, hmm, top five, I'm going to, I'll go ahead and Odin it just because I feel like top five is pretty high. I will say that this is a better bench than the Blazers have had boy in a decade, you know, like I, I feel pretty confident in that. And if nothing else, like, take out the, the rank amongst the other teams. 
it would just be nice to have a bench unit where like you aren't just grabbing the desk hoping against hope that these guys aren't going to fumble it away which is to be perfectly honest is something we have not had in the past couple seasons so if nothing else you have a much better bench than you've seen any time in the last five seasons and probably even longer than that so while I would necessarily while I'll Odin the actual question I think you've got cause to feel better about this bench than you have in in a long ass time and that was kind of why this the makeup or the composition of this roster does remind me of 0809 is that was a very deep team that had a very uh, skilled and, and versatile bench. And so um, that is kind of one of the things that, that made me think of that. We got another Walt Odin regarding Zach Collins. This one from Nathan Wagner, Walt Odin, Zach Collins plays in 36 games or less this year. Now we should keep in mind 72 game season this year, not 82. So that would be half of that. Slated to come back mid-January. We haven't seen a schedule, so we don't know how much time he will miss, how many games he will miss. Um, but you would assume that that would be at probably 10, maybe, or give you, or take? You can pretty much assume that they're playing every other day. I, I think you look at the calendar, 72 games. They're starting well a month after when they typically would and only playing 10 fewer games than they typically would. So, yeah, it, there's there's going to be a lot of games. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were front-loaded a bit as well. Um, but, I mean, I, I think Zach's going to play more games than that. So, whatever whatever Walton or Odin that is, that's what I'm going with. I, I think – I feel like 36 is too low. So, you want Walton. Walton, he will play more than 36 games, yes. Yes, and and I agree. I, I think he's going to come back and play play more than 36 games. This is a big year for him. Um, he needs to establish himself that, A, he can stay healthy and, B, that he can back up uh, what what, you know, this organization has – stated they believe in him and, and back up his, uh, what was he, number 10 pick. So uh, it's kind of put up or, or shut up time for, for Zach. And, and I think he's, uh, he's capable of delivering on that. Okay, last Walt Neroden. Let's see. Oh, this one's, uh, I got to be careful with some salty language here. From Justice Ballard, Walt Neroden, the final Rip City Report co- podcast will be three hours long and dedicated entirely to um, – Joking about local food, minor annoyances, and talking crap about everyone who ever complained that the hosts don't stick to basketball. Please be Walton. Please be Walton. Please be Walton. That's well, another thing. Start the show out by uh, talking about getting the house painted. So yeah, I'll, I'll Walton that one. I feel like we. Uh, I feel like we 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 honored the the ethos of the Rip City Report, which is to to play it a little loose. Yeah it's uh i'm gonna open it because it's not going to get to three hours long but it'll be it'll be extra long and there'll be some uh some tangents along the way uh, we've been i gotta say we've been pretty focused we had one minor tangent which well, is pretty good in this talk about, though too i was just thinking it's like we we really haven't talked about Derek jones jr we really haven't talked a whole lot about ennis we i don't think i've said the name harry giles yet so yeah i mean there's just so much so much has happened over the last couple of days just because it's an entire off season that usually spans two months and they've had to do it in a week, which, you know, everyone gets paid pretty well and they've got, they've got good jobs, but you still have to shout out to those guys. That's a lot of work to get it, to get done in a short amount of time. Uh, and to do it as well as, as the Blazers front office staff has done. I, again, I, I think for a group of guys that, you know, they, they take their lumps from the fans. I think that they've, they've done a very good job of, of getting this thing put together. So congrats guys. Yeah, you. I mean, now's maybe you just open the floor for us to talk about the those three guys. I was pretty open, and in in past podcasts, 
even when we kind of looked at free agency and guys that they could add, I maintain that Jay Crowder would have been a fantastic addition to this team. Uh, and Robert Covington kind of filled some of that need, but I still would have liked to have seen a guy like him come in for on-ball defense and just add more defense and shooting. Um, and you got part of that with Derek Jones Jr. Now he's a younger guy, still a lot to uh, prove, but he did improve quite a bit last year. And man, he brings a, a dimension that this team hasn't had in a while with just a guy who can jump out of the gym with a little bit of proven track record. Not a good shooter, so that's going to be a little bit of different of an adjustment there, more of a slasher and a cutter. Um, he's a dunk champion. Isn't he the reigning dunk champion? He's the reigning dunk champion, the the highly controversial uh, 20 – was that 2020? 2020. Yeah, 2020, 2020. dunk champion. Uh, but he did get the trophy, so it, uh, he, he did win it. So And I, I, I can't remember who the other guy – Aaron Gordon, that's who the other guy was. They were both great actually too like Aaron Gordon another guy who you know gets mentioned with the Blazers from from time to time supposedly uh there was a report actually that the deal that they offered for Covington they had offered to the Magic in exchange for Aaron Gordon uh but were rebuffed I personally think that actually Robert Covington fits his team a lot better than, than Aaron Gordon would have so shout out to that but yeah no a, a guy in, in Derek Jones Jr. who yeah who did win the dunk contest and you're right Joe uh you know not as not the the shooting that Jay Crowder has and Maybe not some of the – I mean, I, I think Derek Jones can, can switch, but maybe not some of the ability to, to cover, you know, up to and including small ball fives like Jay Crowder did, but, but a lot more athletic than Jay Crowder, a lot fewer miles on him than Jay Crowder. Again, a guy in Derek Jones Jr. who, you know, if things work out this season, I mean, he's got supposedly a player option. He'd have to really play well, I think, to, to, to not exercise that option because, I mean, $9 million a year for – for Derek Jones Jr. is seems like a pretty good amount. But you you get that athleticism on the wing that the Blazers just didn't have. And so while I, I, I do feel like there was that debate, like, well, what about Crowder? It's like, well, a, a very nice player, one, also a streaky shooter, a better shooter than, than Derek Jones Jr. But uh, if you go back and actually look at his numbers throughout the years, he shot well in the bubble, uh, better than he has in a couple seasons. So uh, there's a little bit of recency bias there. But Again, you, you don't get the athleticism, the ability to play above the rim, and the ability to get out transition from a guy like Crowder that you get from Derek Jones Jr. And that is something, again, the Blazers have needed for forever. Everyone knows watching the Blazers over the past five years on the fast break will give you an ulcer. Like, it's, it's never basically ever, ever looked all that good. Again, it's the idea that the easy buckets are the ones that you're most afraid of when you're watching the Blazers has always just felt like a bummer. And I, I feel like with Derek Jones and, and to a lesser extent with Robert Covington, you have two guys now that can get out and do those things that for whatever reason, you just have not had any success doing. So uh, it, it makes a whole lot of sense to me. I think it's a really nice signing. And again, I, it, it fits in with the kind of signings that Neil O'Shea likes in that it gives you a guy who can come in and help right away but it also gives you a guy who might be on this team and in a, in a upward growth pattern for three or four seasons. And, you know, that's not what you could maybe say so much about some of the other options that I think people wanted the Blazers to pursue. So I, I think it's a, it's a win now move that also helps you in the future. And, you know, those are the kind of things that particularly when you're going out and maybe taking a little bit of a flyer on the guy, I mean, they're, they're paying Derek Jones Jr. to be better than he's been so far. 
And I think they like the, the chances of that one, because he's still a young player. And two, because as we all know, they really feel strongly in their ability to get players into their system, into their player development program and, and push them on, on that path. So I, I feel like he's probably going to be one of the guys that they're going to be most focused on kind of getting into, into blazer shape. And if it all comes together, if he's able to, to improve that three point percentage, even, you know, two points, get it up to 30%, maybe shoot 35 in the corners. And then, you know, you, you start to feel a little bit better about that option. And you have a guy who also shoots 53% from the field, which again, you have a team that has had a hard time finishing at the rim and getting easy buckets. And he's a guy who solves a lot of those problems, at least in theory. So uh, a, a really smart, savvy signing. And I think one that a lot of people had, had picked out, I think, you know, quick had said that, he thought Derek Jones Jr. would be a good signing for this team. Players go out and do it. So a guy one that, thing that one thing that is interesting about it for me is I think a lot of fans. He, he doesn't register name wise recognition with fans, but when you looked at the reaction around the league from league insiders or you know people who are kind of front office or 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 player personnel gurus, they all universally uh, thought it was a good signing. And so I think that speaks volumes. You're right. They're going to get him into the player development. Another guy they'll do that with is Harry Giles Jr., who's a young guy. He came – I remember him coming through in a pre-draft from, from Duke uh, way back when. It was like, two, I don't know, two years ago or so. Um, the biggest issue with him was obviously his, his knees. He had had both knees um, operated on. And so – He's a guy who's still trying to figure it out, but another athletic dude. I think is he six ten? Am I crazy or is he's listed at six eleven? Actually, yeah. So a big kind of lanky guy, um, a lot of potential. I, I was surprised Neil Olshay kind of mentioned him as a guy who might come in with a chance to play. He seems like more of a guy that you have as an insurance kind of groom him a little bit, get him into that player development program, like we said. Um, and and you know, kind of pivoting these last two guys real quick before we move to the questions is. I think we all know what we get with Ennis Cantor, and by no means is is he a defensive, uh, you know, force. Um, but he brings another dimension with his offensive rebounding and with his offense in general. And uh, he was incredibly important to that Western Conference Finals run, setting the tone in Game One against OKC, setting the tone against Denver in Game One, um, and Game Seven. He was important too. You know, CJ gets rightfully all the all the props for that, but man, Cantor was huge in that game and, and um, really huge throughout that, that playoff run. And so the familiarity there, this is the third time that uh, Neil Olshay has either signed, tried to sign or tried to trade for this guy. So he obviously has something for my man Ennis and, um, you know, a combination of that familiarity and just fit and need. The Blazers need a big, they let Hassan go. Um, and he's a guy who's going to allow Nurkic to play fewer minutes um, you know, to kind of continue to improve and, and play a completely different role. And in very brief moments, we saw, I remember in Brooklyn, what a Yusuf Nurkic and an Ennis Cantor combination can look like. They can coexist uh, on the court at the same time. So, boy, that feels like a million years ago, too, talking to those uh, guys in that Brooklyn locker room. Um, I think that was right after the All-Star break, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was right after the, the trade deadline. And my image in my head is, I think Bruce took a photo of Ennis and uh, Yusuf back in the tunnel after that game, kind of talking to each other. And I, I always got the sense that it was kind of Ennis maybe explaining himself a little bit to Yusuf and how he played and, and talking about that game. And, you know, that was against the Nets. And then, you know, 
They end yeah, up playing yeah. the Nets at home, and that's the end of that. But, yeah, you're right, Joe. Bringing Cantor back, I think, makes a lot of sense. They didn't want him to go last time anyways. It just – I can't remember exactly what happened with free agency. There was, like – he he needed to go faster than the Blitters were willing to to go. I can't even remember exactly what it I was. I think it was – I. there's some – there's debate about what happened, but supposedly it was the opposite. The Blazers wanted him to make a decision quickly so that they could move on if he didn't want to, and he wanted more time, and then – you know, then they, they uh, long story short, bygones are bygones. It's, it's really smart to get cancer back. I think he, he played, I mean, I think people saw cancer play in Portland and one, I think they were like, Hey, maybe this guy isn't as, as terrible as we thought. And two, I think it, again, it really speaks to the ability of this coaching staff to get guys maximized with what they do well, not necessarily focus so much on the things they don't do well. And then to see how well they can get, they can play when you roll the ball out there. So Makes a ton of sense to to bring him in, and again for nothing, basically. They a trade exception, as you mentioned, Joe, that rarely gets used. They end up actually getting to use that one, and they send out Mario Hazonia, a guy who you know was not going to be in the long term plans. Uh, just did not really work out after that signing. You get a canter, a guy in canter that you know can play and can help your team with basically giving up next to nothing, which I mean is is about as good as you can possibly do an NBA trade. You talk about Giles as well. I, the, for me, the, the thing that's really interesting about their big man rotation now is that they can play every way that NBA teams play now at those big positions. They can go big with Yusuf. They can go a little bit smaller with Cantor. They can go super big with Yusuf and Cantor or Zach Collins, assuming that he's able to come back at some point in time. You can go real small with a guy like Robert Covington at center who, who did who filled in in – Houston, you got in Harry Giles, who who's a lanky athletic guy who can maybe make you allow you to play a little bit up and down from that position, can pass a little bit out of the high post. I mean, they can they go from a team where when they entered the bubble, it was like, well, they need to play big because that's the personnel they have, to a team that they can play basically super big, big, small, kind of medium. Like the the options that this team has from a roster perspective. I, is far in excess than I think we've seen in some time. And so, again, when you talk about the bench and the quality, part of it is like, yeah, how good are these guys? But part of it too is like, but you can throw different looks at a lot of different teams now that you basically just couldn't do before. And the ability to play different styles of play in the NBA now, particularly once you get to the postseason, is a necessity. Like the idea that we can play away for 82 games and then get to the postseason and then play the same way, that, that's not the case in the NBA anymore. And I think Portland's roster now is much better suited to deal with those issues than it has been any time in the last five years. Agreed. Let's move along to everyone's questions. Here we go. We've got a, now I, I have to say from the onset that uh, we were over flooded with overwhelmed with questions and there was no way we could get to all of them. It was just simply impossible. It was, it was interesting. I kind of felt like uh, the, the, um, I wouldn't want to say an NBA player with breaking news, but like Casey broke the news that the podcast was, was this was going to be the last episode. And I didn't know that he was going to do it just then. And so all of a sudden I'm getting text messages from people and it, you know, I'm like, what is going on? And then I checked Twitter and it was, it was blowing up. So it was interesting from that perspective. So uh, you guys said so, so many kind things. And I tried to go through and like, uh, and recognize a lot of you. And I, I'm sure I missed a lot. Um, my household's a complete blank show right now with uh, 
the COVID and the virtual kindergarten and on and on and on. So um, I apologize for that. But do know that Casey and I saw all of your well wishes and we cannot thank you and appreciate uh, you enough. So we will get to a few questions here. It will not be as many as we would like, but let's get right into it now that I've prefaced all that. First up from Saab Story. Simple question. Is this the best team on paper we've had in a long time? Simple answer is yes. I think we kind of, we tackled that. Um, it's, it'll be interesting to see it, how, how it all comes together. And that's all part of the, the journey. And you mentioned all the, the different lineup combinations and pieces and components and different ways thoughts can go. But that takes time to work through, through a lot of that. And we've seen that in years past. Um, the team will live and die based upon Damon CJ and of course, Yusuf Nurkic. And, and I think a lot of what people have either overlooked or, or failed to kind of mention about this team and its potential is this is going to be a team that has Yusuf Nurkic for a whole season now. And they, we saw time and time again, how much they missed him last year and how much he means to this team uh, alongside Damon CJ. Well, now they're, I think are enough pieces around them to really make some noise. And so, yes, uh, simple question, simple answer. Yeah, I, I, I would say, yeah, since the LaMarcus, Wes, Nick, Rolo, Dame years, that this is, this is the most talented roster. Absolutely. Okay, next up from Holy Backboard. The addition of Rocco feels huge, but can it have the same impact as Buck in 89 and Pip in 99? He's probably not on either of their levels in terms of overall talent, but seems to be the perfect fit at a position of need. Appreciate the pod. Appreciate the question. Um, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that. You don't know an addition is going to be like that until it's all said and done. You didn't know how important Buck was going to be until he got here. You knew Pip was going to be important, I guess. But I guess uh, more recently, the what Rocco's addition reminds me of is another row, and it's row low because. He was a guy who ended up being the perfect fit for that team that carried them to, I believe it was 52, 53 wins. I can't, I can't remember. Second round of the playoffs and was obviously an, an integral piece of that beloved Blazers team those two years. And so, you know, I'm, I can't go to Buck or Pip. I don't think he's a player on their level, certainly not this point in his career. And we don't know. We have a lot more to see, but I would say, Again, perfect player, perfect fit, perfect time reminds me of the Rolo edition. Um, and so I feel what you're saying and maybe uh, time will tell. Yeah, I mean, I, I would remind everyone that I, I believe Buck Williams was an all-star before he came to Portland and obviously Scottie Pippen's an all-timer. So, you know, you, you got to give those guys their respect. But I, I would say, at least in terms of, of Buck Williams, it, it's similar in that it's a guy who's coming in who's going to do kind of the ancillary parts of what you need a basketball team to do. So, you know, Buck didn't come in to score. I mean, he shot a great percentage, obviously, but, you know, he was a guy who came in, set screens, played defense, rebounded, and, and you know, not necessarily a guy who's going to come in and say, like, this is what I need my role to be. I need to get X amount of touches or else there's going to be problems. And I think that's the same thing you have with, with Rocco and that, you know, he's a guy who, who's going to come in and, He's going to rebound. He is going to get out in transition. He is going to defend multiple positions. He's going to shoot the corner three. But he's not going to be a guy who's going to be like, hey, run a play for me. He's not going to be a guy who's going to say like, man, I'm not getting touches. I don't feel like I'm involved in the offense. What's going on? I mean, I, I, I do see the similarities there. 
and just the idea too that you know I it's a bit hard to say that this team isn't wasn't that far away last season because they were in the eight seed you know but it, it does feel like it, it's the right kind of move for a team that could be close and you know I, I think it's a little too early to say that Portland is that close but you know, you, you, you get the, the idea being that it's a value addition that will probably work better for Portland than it would for a lot of other teams. And in that, I can see a similarity with guys like Buck Williams and Scotty Pippen. And it make, you bring up an interesting point, which makes me kind of go back to earlier in the pod when I, when I kind of contrasted his uh, availability with Hassan Whitesides in Vegas uh, two summers ago. And, you know, Covington unsolicited brought up the idea that today, hey, I'm a guy who does a lot of things that doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but it helps teams win. And he essentially said, and I like to do that. Whereas Hassan, and I know people accuse me of being a Hassan basher and whatever, think what you want. It, it's, I, I just call him how I see him. And, and I think that I was proven to be true from beginning to end or when it was all said and done, but or accurate, I would say. Hassan talked about statistics because he liked statistics. And so, you know, you, you look at that contrast and again, it's a guy who is going to do things that you need guys to do if you want to win. And, and he's going to be that. And I think Buck Williams did a lot of that stuff too. And so I guess that's kind of the, the pivoting there, but I will pivot forward now to Zach, who has a question who on the roster will show the most growth from last season. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to pick candy from a baby here and I'm going to say Anthony Simons. I, I think too much was thrust on him uh, too soon. And, and I think the, the team and the organization became enamored with what they saw behind the scenes with the potential that they know he has. And I'm a big Simons fan, so don't get me wrong, but it was a guy who had never played in college, who was coming out of prep school, one year of total uh, grooming in the NBA, all of a sudden, thrust into this role you'd like to think that now after a year of going through what he went through he will be more suited to to make a more emphatic um you know imprint and so i don't know that he's necessarily ready to be a permanent backup point guard but i think he's ready to 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 be a solid contributor off the bench and so i'm gonna say you know a guy who maybe disappointed last year is gonna kind of deliver this year and so he's my he's my pick to click there it might end up being a little bit hard to gauge because, you know, we didn't see him on a day in day out basis, but I'm going to go with Derek Jones jr. Uh, I, I think a young guy who's probably going to have a larger role with the blazers than he had with the heat. Uh, I, I could see a lot of room for, for growth there and, and an ability to, to maybe take it to a place he hasn't before. Now the, the one real bummer, I mean, well, I won't say that there's any number of bummers about this entire year and COVID but at least in return and as it pertains to this conversation, not really having a summer of training camp, which I mean, typically I, I think people know this, but generally, you know, guys come back about a month early and start working out even before training camp. And that's not going to happen this year. Guys maybe are working out in groups uh, either at the practice facility or with at private gyms, but the long and short of it is they're not getting together as a group and, and getting kind of the, the amount of run that they typically would have gotten. So does that maybe limit what a guy like Derek Jones Jr. can do in terms of, of his growth this season? Yeah, maybe. But I, I from where he is now to where I, I think he might be able to go, I, I think Derek Jones might show the most growth. 
I'd also put Gary Trent Jr. in there just because I, I think there's an assumption that Gary is already blown up and he is he's kind of already already lessened the amount that he can grow because he already has kind of shot up since the middle of last season. But I, I, I think Gary with uh, even with a not great off season and just the confidence that he got from from the play that he showed in the bubble. I think Gary could still be be poised to make another big jump. And if that's the case, then whew, look out for this team. It would not be a podcast, and it certainly would not be our podcast if I mentioned that. We've already crossed an hour, but I'm not going to rush us today. We're going to get through these questions because it's the last one, so why not? Next up, we got kind of a couple questions on the similar plane here. So um, first of all, from Catherine, do we know how in the NBA will handle COVID outbreaks and exposures? Will games be rescheduled or forfeited? Are teams instituting rules for players to decrease possible outbreaks? And then kind of on a similar notion, Jason Grigsby has questions about uh, how we will cover uh, basketball during COVID. Is it going to be like the bubble with no travel for the media? Uh, I imagine that means that that depends a lot on the media entity, um, but I can't imagine a lot of people are going to be traveling uh, during a pandemic to cover basketball. There's no, there's not going to be fans in most arenas. Now there will be in some, so perhaps things will be different in those cities. Um, But I I don't expect that a whole lot of people are going to be traveling. There's going to be a lot of zoom interviews, unfortunately for the season. Now, as far as COVID outbreaks and exposures and, and protocol do you do you have any insight into that Casey you know what Joe I don't uh, actually I have no idea whatsoever I mean I, I can venture some guesses but I, I have not seen any of the documentation about how they're going to go about dealing with you know if a player gets gets COVID what what are those those quarantine situations like I I don't know and you know, part of me feels like you, you see what's happened in college football has not gone particularly well. Baseball seemed to get it figured out eventually. I don't think football has gone especially well either. And those are much bigger rosters playing outside. And you still see stories that if one guy gets COVID, then they end up quarantining the entire section that that player is in. And that might be up to five or six or seven players you can't do that in the NBA. So I, I don't know how they're going to work that out. I, I'm sure that a lot of the work is going to be on the front end, just trying to convince people to live in as much of a bubble as they possibly can. You get NBA players out on the road though. And I think that's, that's probably a, a pretty big ask. So I don't know exactly how that's going to work at all. Um, I hope that, that we can get through it because the, the league needs it, but that, I do not know how that's going to play out. And for to the second part of the question, it is absolutely going to look different. I would be surprised if there's anyone traveling, uh, at least to start the season, uh, even if you'd be allowed to. I don't know if they're even going to let people in gyms. Uh, I think almost every single broadcast, if not every single broadcast, at least locally, will be remote, um, which was just like the bubble. I, I that's budgetary for a lot of teams. And I think they're also just trying to keep the number of travelers down as well. Um, it is going to be different. It's going to look probably more like the bubble. Um, and, uh, you know, it's better than nothing, but it's, uh, Not perfect. That's, that's no way to, to cover basketball. You know, it's one of the, one of the real joys about this job is getting to, to be live in a gym when kind of really exciting, fun things are happening. And you take that part out of it, and uh, it definitely changes the job, that's for sure. Well, and not only that, but 
I think, uh, and I'll speak for myself here, but face-to-face -face interaction and relationships and personal connection is, uh, you know, 80% of this job or a, a highly a, amount of the job and obviously talent and work ethic is, is high percentage as well. But getting to know guys, sitting down and talking to them and seeing them in locker rooms and seeing them in other cities and, and at practice every day and so on and so forth. And, and that's how you get to know them. That's how they trust you. That's how you get story ideas. That's how you're able to do your job. And you just cannot make that kind of connection over the computer through Zoom. It's, it's, just, it's just impossible. And I can speak with authority. We all did it last year in the bubble. You did it a lot with practice and training camp before the bubble. I've been doing it with college football for the last few weeks. And it is, you know, it's not ideal. And so from that standpoint, it's going to be difficult to tell stories and, and, and provide insight into the team. And so um, that'll be interesting to see. I Call me a cynic. But the NBA has done a lot of help with the world as far as COVID goes. You know, their help in developing rapid testing. They, they contributed financially to that uh, before going into the bubble. There's a lot of money in this. I would not be surprised if a whole lot of NBA players were at the front of many lines for a vaccine when those started rolling out um, to kind of protect the league and its interests moving forward. So we'll see. That might, I guess, kind of dovetailing back could mitigate some of the risk um, whenever those things do come out and whenever you know we're talking about COVID exposure and protocol so I don't know something to think about absolutely the last thing I'd say too is that it's going to be hard for everyone to cover the league like this but I think it's especially difficult for people who have been doing this for a while like yourself like myself Joe who have spent literally years developing relationships with players to get to a level to where you can have open, honest dialogue with them and get something out of it. And when you take that and you put it on Zoom and it's 15 people asking questions and, you know, the, the thing that you're working on, the, the question that you ask, it's an answer that gets tweeted out. And I do it as well, so it's not like I'm saying it's wrong, but it just, it really changes your ability to, to do the parts of your job that maybe you feel like you're best suited to do because of the time you've put in, you know, that a lot of that kind of gets wiped away. And that, you know, when you've been doing a job for a while and you really, you've, you've invested that time and you've made that effort to not be able to kind of reap the rewards from that. It, it sucks, you know, and not only because, you know, it's the stories maybe not be as good, but like, it just, it, it changes my enjoyment uh, of it as well. And you know, that, that, uh, that's going to take some getting used to. Uh, you know what else sucks is the 2007 draft, Casey. And we have a question about that decision right up next from M. Sizz. How close were the Blazers to drafting Durant instead of Odin? Or were they ever seriously considering Durant? They very much seriously considered Durant. Uh, he slayed his workouts. I, it's, it's legendary from what I understand. Similar to that of Damian Lillard's, by the way. Greg Odin's workout was awful, and he did not play well. That gave them pause. That combined with Durant. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, Kevin Pritchard was giving himself a little bit of cover in hindsight, but he did acknowledge, hey, you're looking at a, a future Hall of Famer, a future All-Star in Kevin Durant, and um, there's two good choices. It's a matter of picking, picking the best one, and this center or this organization firmly believed that Greg Oden was that, was that guy. They didn't foresee him uh, playing 82 games over five years and, and flaming out because of injuries. But I will say this. 
in the room when everybody decided, you know, who they wanted to draft, based upon what I heard, there was only one guy in the end who voted for Durant and everybody else was lobbying for Odin. So uh, I think they seriously considered it, but in the end, there was a larger consensus uh, on Odin. That is exactly what I've heard as well, Joe. And uh, I think we probably even know some of the names, but you know, those things are uh, lost to time. So yeah, no, they, they absolutely considered it. Uh, Odin was always odds on favorite, but I mean, they, they weren't just putting on a show. They were going through the paces and you know, they ended up making the wrong call. So so it goes. Go. Okay, next up from our uh, good friend and my colleague, Andrew Thien, uh, Hazonia, over or under four assists per game, hashtag kidding. I think he was, uh, he dropped that in a training camp last year for us and pretty sure we, hopefully we took the uh, Odin on that one. Boy, I, 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 I don't feel like we did, Joe. <laughs> I don't think we did. Uh, I don't oh, want to man. go back to listen. And, and for people asking kind of favorite podcast moments, I'll, I'll be perfectly frank with you guys. I usually don't go back and listen to the podcast. I've done them a little more recently because I'm always concerned about the audio quality over Zoom. But for the most part, we record these things, we post them, and then it's on to the next thing. So um, so you guys probably have a better memory of what was said on this podcast than either one of us do. But uh, I got to be honest, Joe, I, 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 in my gut, I feel like we both were like, oh, yeah, Hazonia for this. Yeah, that could happen. I hope that I had some kind of common sense and took the under. I think I took the, uh, the Odin under on that, but I'll just give myself some uh, inflated praise there. His actual question, though, is who's more likely to have regular contributions this season, Nasir Little or uh, Harry Giles Jr.? Um, that's a tough one to answer, to be honest with you. I don't know that either of them are primed for big roles. And, you know, talking, uh, but I was surprised to hear Olshay mention Giles and, and being someone who might play. And maybe Zach's uh, injury opens the door there for him as more of a 4-5 kind of role. So I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say Giles, I guess. I'm going to say Nasir because, you know, going into the bubble, there was talk that Nasir had really put in a lot of work in during the quarantine and was looking really good. Uh, he has whatever the issue was where he got dehydrated and, passed out and so that kind of scuttled that but I, I'll go Nasir just because I, I feel like he seemed like he was building towards something before that happened and you know I bet he's going to get an opportunity to maybe get out there a little bit uh, they, they've got lo- more options than they've had in some time at that position but I'm nodding I, my head vociferously I think you could probably say the same thing about Giles as well so the fact that Nasir has already been in the system and already seemed like there was a little bit of juice about him before he had some issues in the bubble, I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll go Nasir. I'll go Mr. Little. Uh, next up from Neil Ullman, have you heard any talk of a 2021 bubble season? You know, initially I had heard some some talk of maybe like teams getting together and playing like like kind of not so much around robin, but like getting together in one place and maybe playing for like two weeks and then going home for a week. But that was kind of early on, and and they're figuring it out and. You know, it doesn't seem like that's really the direction they're going. And it really doesn't even seem like – I know they've talked about lessening travel, but if you're already – but if you're going to play 30 games total, which is a home and away versus the East Coast teams, I'm a little confused how that's how they're going to lessen the travel. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, you go to New York and you're going to play the Nets and the Knicks rather than playing one than coming back and playing the other. But uh, it, it seemed like there, there might have been some options for some of that mitigation that – maybe they just figured out what was too complicated or, or, or unlikely to, to result in anything anyways. 
I think a bubble is probably a fallback option at this point if, if things get out of control and the, the season becomes jeopardized. I think the strain uh, that that put on the players was immense, and it was kind of a, a once-in-a-lifetime thing to save a season, um, and it was pulled off overwhelmingly successful. So uh, I think they're going to do everything they can to avoid that. But, you know, depending upon how things move forward and, and what happens – Never say never uh, on something like that. If, if they have to do it again, maybe, maybe the idea gets broached. Um, let's see. Next up from Greg Brock. Joe and Casey, thank you both for the great reporting through the pod. What will you miss most about this project together? Uh, Greg says he's going to miss the banter. You guys are both great. Been listening from day one. I'm not ready to say goodbye. Wow, day one. Wow. Thank, thanks, Greg. That's awesome, man. We appreciate you being uh, – you being loyal, you're, you're definitely a, a diehard and an original Rip City reporter. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's been a lot of fun. It's, it's hard to pinpoint one thing we're going to miss. It's, you know, you sort of, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years and I've been covering the Blazers for 14 or 15 years. And man, a lot of it just kind of becomes the same. You, you know, you go to a basketball game, one of them is, is, uh, is a very similar to another one. And you, you kind of get immune to all the moments and, and, uh, all the stories and it's another game and another city and all that. But I always just thoroughly enjoyed uh, the podcast. Casey and I are, are good friends uh, and we like each other's company and, and we like doing this. So I think I'll just miss, you know, you know, the, the fun that we've had and, and, and also the little community that we've built, I guess, like, you know, going back to the beginning, I kind of got into podcasts late and it, I started listening to them for, for enjoyment, discovered them and kind of uh, for Florida State football or, or for other interests, politics and so on and so forth. And, and I was like, this would be a lot of fun. I should do this, you know, for my job and um, kind of said an off the cuff remark to Casey, like, man, I kind of want to do a podcast. I think we were at a practice or at media day or something like that. And he's like, you know, that's funny. It was probably at like a pre-draft workout actually, or something like that. And he goes, that's funny. My, my, uh, I don't know if he said my boss, but I think it was TJ at the time. TJ, they kind of want me to do something like that. And I was, we were like, well, maybe we could do it together. And then, you know, here we are seven, eight years later, uh, and we've been doing it the whole time. It's something that's evolved from, from just that into, Hey, people actually like this. And, um, you know, it, it's been a lot of fun to see you guys come along for the ride, I guess. So that, that's what I'll miss, uh, most is, is the little community we've built, uh, the, how popular it became and, and how much you guys seem to, to enjoy it. Cause it sure was a lot of fun for us. Yeah. I, I think for me, Joe, the, the thing that I've really enjoyed about it the most, uh, other than just doing it is just, you know, I, I've written some stories that I've, I felt pretty proud of in, in my career, you know, not a ton, but like, you know how it is, Joe. Sometimes you, you get something and you write and you're like, yeah, this is good. You know, like I, I can tell I, this, this is going to hit. No, I don't ever think that. <laughs> <laughs> At some point in our careers, we felt that way. Uh, <laughs> but even when that happens, like you don't have people stop you in the grocery store and say, hey, man, I, li I like that story you wrote or, or things like that. That happened all the time with the podcast. I consistently had people come up to me on the street at games sitting on press row at, at the Fred Meyer down the street all the time. People would be like, Hey man, we really like the podcast. We really appreciate it. And like, that's always meant so much to me because I, I think it, it's maybe a little different because you know, you work at a paper, you're a journalist, like you work for a team and like you're in this kind of nebulous situation where like you want to work as a journalist, but you do work for the team and 
and you know that people are always going to assume that that you're being biased about things and you know a lot of times you probably are and for me personally i it's always been like a struggle to kind of figure out like well where do i fit in in this landscape and like what am i providing of value to people from this position knowing that you know i i'm i'm a little tainted for lack of a better word and the podcast seemed like the right place to put those things and to to do the work and have people recognize it, enjoy it, and to to have, you know, a duality where you got Joe who who covers the team, you know, independently, and you got Casey who covers the team for the Blazers, and he's gonna have one kind of perspective and Joe's gonna have another perspective. And the meeting of those together, I think, really has met Trailblazer fans where they're at, which is that they they want you to tell them how it is, but they also want you to be kind of fans of the team as well. And I always felt like we, we struck that balance well, and that's why I feel like we got such a good response for it. And that, for me, has always been by far the most gratifying part. It's, it's easily the most rewarding part of my job, and, you know, it's, it's a bummer. It's going away. Yeah, that's funny. That, that uh, dovetails nicely to the next question, which is from John Woods. Uh, he says, first of all, great pod, and I will miss it forever. Thank you, John. That's very kind. Uh, question for Joe. I feel like I hear it in your voice. Be honest. Has covering the team all these years finally converted you from an old-school neutral journalist to a Blazers fan? Uh, it has not, John. My, <laughs> it my has voice, not. I'll answer for Joe. It hasn't. My, my voice misleads you, John. Uh, you know, w- once you're kind of a journalist uh, – it's, it's just how you need to be. You, you can't be a fan of the team and, and cover it uh, if, if you want to be neutral. That's just how it is. Now, until my paycheck is cashed by someone from the team or something like that, uh, then I, I can't say that I'll be a fan. Or, you know, maybe one day I, I, I don't cover the team or I do something different and uh, I'm not connected to it anyway. And then, you know, then you start to evolve. Well, maybe I would be a fan of, of the Blazers since I'm not covering them and something like that. Um, but currently, uh, with my job, no, uh, no, my voice is apparently, uh, misleading. And and I would say too, that, and I feel like I've maybe mentioned this before. I've actually become less of a fan of the Portland trailblazers over the years. And part of that is just a necessity because, you know, when you're a fan and the team wins, it's fantastic and things are great. But when the team loses, it's kind of a bummer. And when that's your job, it's hard to carry the elements of doing your job and also being bummed out because the team lost, you know? So at a certain point, I feel like you have to disassociate yourself a little bit from the actual wins and losses. I mean, I want the organization to do well, but I wouldn't say I'm as much of a fan now as I was 10 years ago, but I'm a fan of the characters and the people. Like I want to see them do well. Like, do I want to see the Blazers win a championship? Absolutely. But I want to see Damien have success. I want to see CJ have success. I want to see Terry be rewarded for his hard work. Like those are those are the things that I root for now. It's not so much the Portland Trail Blazers winning this game. It's more the people that I've gotten to know over the last decade having success in something that's really important to them. Like that's that's what I root for now. And I root for fans being happy. I really want for the fans in this market because of one, because they're great fans and two, just how much they've, they've ridden with this team and, and, and taken the ups and downs and, and a lot of those downs and stuck with it. Like a lot of other franchise fans would not do. So 
I really root for, for you guys. Like I want, I want the team to have success because of you. Like, it's not so much me. Like I don't, I'm glad when they win, but it's not, it doesn't drive me like that anymore. I want to see the people I know and the people that have supported me for years be happy because something good happens. And that's kind of where I fall in terms of, of that notion. And I think, you know, I, I'm not going to speak for you necessarily, Joe, but I imagine that some parts of you are glad to see when good things happen to the people you work with, not so much because they win or lose, just because you spend time with them and what kind of a monster doesn't want to see the people that they spend time with and who they appreciate have some level of success. Totally. And um, of course you, you care for the people you're around and you want to see them succeed. And, and, you know, looking back on the run to the Western conference finals, it was exhausting. And, you know, we had to sacrifice so much uh, me personally away from my family and, and so on and so forth. Um, and, but looking back, it was fun to see this city, get so passionate that is already passionate about the team to see them go to that next level. And, you know, I wasn't around obviously for the championship year and, and even for those runs in the nineties, I didn't come to Portland until, until 1995. So um, I wasn't a part of that. I didn't, I didn't get to see this, this city of buzz. You saw touches of that during the early B Roy stuff when things were starting to come back. Um, and you saw, you know, hints of that here and there, but I really got some insight into what this town can be like when things are humming and, and it was during that year. And so, yes, Blazers fans, I, I do like for them to, to obviously have fun and see success and, you know, more, I don't root for teams. I root, I root for players and people and you get attached to some of these players over the years and, and you quickly identify the good ones from the uh, less good ones. And for the most part, we've been around a lot of good ones. And so you, you tend to root for, the, for them to succeed. And so from that standpoint, I, I agree 100%, Casey. Um, and speaking of Casey, we have a question from Casey who wants to know what was the highlight of your time working together on this pod? You dropped a couple. Um, you, you definitely recording on the road's been fun. I remember sitting in, must have been in, was it in Charlotte when or maybe Indiana and we were in like this glass room and Chad Buchanan came by and started knocking on the window and like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, Hey dude, give it, you know, you know, stuff like that's kind of fun. But uh, you know, the live podcasts that we did were a lot of fun because we got to meet uh, all of the people that we interact with through questions and all that. And, and to see the Blazers fans face to face. And uh, that was a lot of fun to see, to get that support, but then also just to be able to spend some time and hang out, uh, hang out with you guys. Yeah, the those recording on the road is has always been fun. It makes you, you know, <laughs> again, this might sound dumb, but like for whatever reason, like recording on the road makes you feel like a real journalist. You know, like I feel like I'm out getting the story and like putting in the time after hours to make sure that this thing gets seen through. And you know, th those have always been been gratifying for me. The the live podcast too, be and for the reasons you mentioned, Joe, but for another reason for me we used to do these things called tweet ups early on in my career with the trailblazers and they weren't very successful. So basically the idea would be, we try to get people to come out to the arena before games to, to kind of meet and greet and do some trivia and so on and so forth. And they just never really seemed to turn out the way we'd hoped. And when you're kind of running the thing and it doesn't turn out, you look at it and you're like, boy, this stinks. And again, is anyone paying attention? Like it is, is any of this effort really being appreciated or is it, are you, you just checking a box and, and getting onto the game? So when we did have the live podcast recordings and people actually did show up for them, it was like, 
this is great. Like we, people actually do care and, and they're paying attention and you know, they actually do want to come out and see how the sausage gets made and, 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 and meet you on a personal level and for it to be something more than just like, you know, what rumor do you have that you can pass along or like, what's the, the scuttlebutt or whatever, like the actual, just like interest in the job as well. And, and that support always was, was super gratifying. And, and, and again, and, and part of that gratification too came from it's like, Oh, tough luck is getting something out of this actually. Like they, they've been kind enough to support us and now they're actually getting maybe a little of a benefit from that, which, you know, if you had asked me 10 years ago, would anyone give two craps about, you know, something that, that we were putting out audio wise, I'd been like, well, hell no. So for it to go to reach that level and to be that successful mm -hmm. and to have people care about it enough to actually come out and say hello, like that's, that, that's really gratifying and, and, and it's been easily one of the, one of the best parts. And I wish we could have done it more. And by the way, before I forget, I am going to mention a bunch of people at the end of the show, but I really do want to shout out Dave Barbaris who handled all the audio for us uh, on those live shows. Uh, Dave, I don't know if you're listening, but you're the man. Uh, he also does the pre halftime and post game shows, or at least he did before. Um, and I don't know, he's going to be doing it anymore. So uh, if you're listening to this, Dave, thank you so much for all your support. Thank you so much for helping us. Uh, I tried to get him to not help us because I thought he might get him in trouble and he insisted on doing it. So uh, shout out to you, Dave. You're a great dude. Little you general. Are dead, Dave, and we appreciate that. Uh, agree hundred percent, Casey. You know, uh, there was also the crew for a while there that had the Rip City Report bingo going on, like uh, some random stuff we had where it was on your bingo card or something like that. I can't remember. Well, that. People were trying to keep, maybe keep a tally of the Waltons or Odins, which yeah. have done a lot better job of helping them by actually picking the right Walton or Odin or not having to have you explain to me which one is supposed to be the right one. But yeah, to, to have that interplay as well uh, in the listener community, again, that's, I, I wouldn't have ever have thought that, I would create something or be a part of something that people would be that interested in to, to actually take it to a secondary kind of content form. So see, that's the difference between you and I and our vanity, Casey. I always assumed that I was going to create something <laughs> like that. That's, and that's why this worked, you know, we bring different perspectives to it. No. Uh, and you know, obviously the use of Nurkic bet was, was a big hit. And I, I still need to collect on both those bets. Whenever this world opens up, you can rest assured uh, dear Rip City reporters, that I will be collecting on that bed with a delicious meal somewhere, somehow, uh, whenever this world opens back up. And that dovetails nicely to the last question that we'll ask uh, on the Rip City Report, and it's from Selly. I assume this is either because Joe is moving to LO or payback for Casey never making good on the bet. Seriously, though, thanks for the memories. That's, that's a good question. I will be collecting that $100 when Finley is in third grade and she goes to elementary school too, Casey. I'm sorry, buddy. I got to collect that bet one day. I, I, I will be happy to pay that bet, Joe. Um, I still feel pretty solid that, uh, that I'm not going to have to, but I, I, if, if you're still in town, actually, I will probably be gone by then. But, uh, <laughs> still in town, I would love to actually pay off on that bet. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Finley to third grade class and I'm going to have FaceTime one and I'm going to be walking her down to Alameda elementary the whole way. I'm going to be like, Casey, this is me getting a hundred bucks right now. And this is what it looks like. Look at that front door. This is her teacher. It's going to be glorious. Uh, absolutely. Well, I, I really do hope that happens, Joe, because uh, that'll mean that the Freemans are, are still out and about here in the town. So I, I, I would support that. Absolutely. 
Um, and I'll, I'll visit you guys at the beach when, uh, when you guys ever do move out there. Now, we, before we end, we do have to talk about the why the podcast is ending. We're not going to skirt that. We have got a million questions from that. Uh, and, it, you know, it's, it's a complicated, uh, uh, there's a complicated answer to an easy question. But basically, in the end, what ended up happening was, uh, you know, the Oregonian decided they wanted to launch their own Blazers podcast. Um, and then just, so our setup had to come to an end. That's, that's, you know, I, it's a pandemic. I got kids. I'm going to tread lightly, uh, with what I say, but, uh, that is the extent of, of things. It was certainly not anything that I wanted to do. It was something that Casey did not want to do. I can tell you that we both, uh, tried to keep it going as best as we could, uh, from our own ways and it just didn't work out. But, um, but there you go. The, the, again, Oregonian's going to be starting their kind of their own Blazers podcast with some other podcasts. And, uh, and so there you go. They wanted me to stop doing it. Yeah. You know, that, you know, business is business. And, uh, I think, you know, anyone who's, who's worked in one place for a while knows that, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just can't get things worked out. I mean, one thing I will say is, you know, if it was up to the Portland trailblazers, the rip city report would continue on. So I can't speak for any other entity, but at least from our perspective, we would like for this to keep going. Um, I think I probably will start doing another podcast at some point in time. Uh, it will not be the Rip City Report uh, because the Rip City Report is Joe Freeman and Casey Holdall. Uh, and, and I really feel strongly that, you know, Joe and I built this thing together uh, without a whole lot of assistance. And back when really neither one of our employers cared all that much about us doing it, so to go from that to kind of having it taken away for those kind of reasons is, is a real bummer, but you know, there's lots of good podcasts out there and Joe and I aren't going anywhere. Like, I mean, Joe's covering stuff. I'm working for the team still. Um, so we'll be around. It'll just, you know, it'll, it'll just be different. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you never know, man, things change. I didn't even really feel right calling it the final one because Again, who, who's to say what happens in the future? But uh, I also didn't want to lead people on into thinking right. that, you know, we were just taking a break and, and that we were going to start back up sometime. I mean, who knows? But, but as of right now, this, this will be the last Rip City Report. Yeah, and it's been, a, it's been a lot of fun. And again, you know, when, when Casey sent out the tweet saying this was the last one, it, we just had an incredible uh, reaction response with so many uh, people both sad and dis in disbelief, but more than anything, just very complimentary and very kind. And, and you know, we take a rash of crap from you guys uh, and Blazers fans along the way, or at least I do. And so it's always nice um, you guys should see my emails. It's always nice to, to I, I saw a tweet this weekend with someone saying that they couldn't wait till I retired, which <laughs> my response to that was, yeah, you and me both brother. <laughs> uh, but, but back on point, it just, it, it was very kind of you guys. And it's, it's very reassuring for you to be so nice. And, uh, you know, this is the last pod, uh, maybe ever, but maybe not, maybe it's just on a hiatus and one day down the road, we'll, We'll, uh, we'll get her going back again if, if things ever change. But as of right now, it's not. So um, I don't know how to sign off. But just thanks, you guys, for all your listening and all your support. Real quick, Joe, I'm not done. Like I said, I wanted to read off some names. So, so Dustin in the stage at Holy Backboard, Logan, and you already mentioned Andrew Thien, longtime supporter of the podcast. The PDX Brochelite, one of the early supporters of the pod. Charles, Hamed, you're a hell of a journalist, Hamed. Jamal, our boy Craig Birnbach uh, up in Evergreen making it happen. Patrick. 
Burlicious, Brandon Goldner. Brandon, keep doing what you're doing, man. Kelly Acoin, a great fan. Check out Billions. Fantastic. Joe Steckman, Kenton, my dude, Kenton. I don't know if you actually live in Kenton, Kenton. I think your name is just Kenton. Great dude. Atomin, uh, what are some of the names, Joe, that you've always mispronounced? Are there any that stick with you? Woj Joe, Woj Joe. Uh, all these bulls, Real KJ, Lucille, Joe, Hank Stern, Hank Stern, shout out to you, Hank, shout out to Washington, D.C., Adam, Travis, Legendary Snake, Vic, the other Casey, Casey Bullfrogs, I actually muted you for a while, my guy, but you've turned around, you're a great dude, <laughs> Paul Bishop, Brandon Sprague, 1080 The Fan, thank you so much for your, all your support, Brandon has, has a longtime supporter of the podcast, Ashlyn, Yosemite Sam, Brian Kroll, a film by Quentin Tarantino, Thomas Cowart, Ben L., Nathan Wagner, Elijah Shoemaker, Dan Zeal, HR, Luis, Ball is Info, Bobby, Dagnut, Ashlyn, the Trailblazer crew, Marissa Brothian. I'm sure I got that wrong, Marissa. You've been a longtime listener, too. Uh, Katie Burrows. I, I just pulled that one off the top of my head. Worked in D.C. Blazerus, Kyle, Jason Grigsby. A lot of great questions over the years. Thank you so much, Jason. Patrick Minner, Dan Smith, DWPDX, Tad Smith. Football is dumb. I only like baseball or basketball. That makes a lot more sense with this podcast. CJ Anderson, Adam again, Catherine. Catherine always sends in questions. Thank you so much, Catherine. Neil, Sports Balls, Rhythm, anyone else I might miss? Double Dog, uh, Jaron, another guy too recently. Really come on. Ian Armstrong as well. A lot of great support. Thank you so much to all of you. It's meant a, a huge deal to me. It really has, has made this job much more enjoyable. Um, and, yeah, thank you so much for all your listening. Uh, you know, wherever I end up, Please listen. Joe, if he ends up doing other podcasts, it'd be about Blazers or Ducks or Beavers or whatever, please check it out. Um, yeah, you, you guys have, again, it, it's meant a whole lot to me. Um, so thank you so much. That was amazing. I didn't know you had that in you. Well done. There is no way I could start Roman naming Roman too. Zip Roman. He's got a, he's got a great uh, a, a magazine that he writes for about, about uh, music. It's great. And Zach Podol as well. Uh, Paul Wick, I think, Blazer Tim, Lando, uh, Greg Brock as well. Oh, man, I couldn't forget Greg Brock. Uh, Belgian Blazer as well. Everyone who also listens, Blazer fan Cindy and, uh, and Blazer fan Cindy daughter, I guess that's it. That's good. And we, you, and I, I wouldn't even try because I would forget too many people and I'd feel too guilty. So if he forgot someone or whatever, know that Callum we will Buster remember. Well. Callum Buster, two more. There's two more. <laughs> that was nice. Uh, all right. We're going to sign off for the last time, guys. Again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this one went long. Last one went long just for you, Casey. How about that? Thank you. Uh, Jared Kelly, Sab story as well. Uh, John Woods, uh, Daniel Devney. I'm sure I got that wrong. Deba, everyone. Uh, again, if we forgot to mention you, please let me know and, and I will voice record your, uh, I would say your voicemail, but no one listens to voicemail. So, uh, in all seriousness, be safe out there, guys. We're still living a pandemic. Take care of yourself and your families. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you again one day. Uh, until then, take care and be safe. And uh, enjoy your blazers. Thank you so much, everybody. Bonzi Wells, what a handle. It's amazing what he do for the sport. Damon Stoudemire saves the day, a.k.a. Mighty Mouse. Gonna show all of you scrubs how to play. What a show. Why the Lakers even want it with us, you know. No one's ready to deal with us.